Hey everyone, welcome back to Purple Luna Podcast with me, Stephanie Conti, and my best friend, oh, Savannah Lanelsay. That was a sweet one. That was a sweet <laughs> one. Hi guys. Um, all right. I wanted to ask you a question, Steph. Ooh, the tables. The tables have turned. <laughs> What's your question, sweet pea? If you had to be turned into any animal, what would it be? Ah, on topic, I see. Uh, so we were discussing this earlier on what animal would I be. And my conclusion was the infamous honey badger. Ooh. Because if I turned into an animal, I would resort to my animalistic ways and would just hunt and kill, but still be pretty freaking cute while doing it. So that's why <laughs> I would go with the honey badger. How about you, Savannah? That's, that's a good one. I'd, I'd be a giraffe. I, I'm in it for the peaceful life. The peaceful, like just having your long neck swaying in the in the African sun, right? Just and you're just sitting, you know. And sometimes you walk around in a at a good pace. So I feel like I would like that life, if you know, not much to worry about. Nice. Maybe going to zoo one day, you know, <laughs> Maybe fed so by so young children. So my fr- my family can see me. I go to zoo, so they can visit me. They're like in tusk. Oh god! Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! No, I honey badger is the for me the way to go because I'm not gonna be some dog that's just gonna look up and be like, I wish I was human. I'm gonna go full animalistic. I would either be a honey badger or like a Tasmanian devil and just wreak havoc on our ecosystem. Very aggressive. Um, yes. So we bring this up because today we are reviewing the lobster. The lobster. It was directed by Yorgos Lanthimos. I yeah, right? That's that's good. I think so. That, that's good. That sounded Greek. That sounds Greek Thank to you. me. And the plot is about in a dystopian near future, single people, according to the laws of the city, are taking to are taken to the hotel where they are they are forced to find romantic partners in 45 days or transform into beast and set into the woods. Um, pretty heavy stuff. It stars Colin Farrell, Rachel Wise, mm-hmm. Olivia Coleman, um, John C. Riley, and Leah Sedox. Leah Sedo. Sedo. Very French. Um, but yeah, Stephanie, what did this was my pick? So, what did you think of the lobster? So, um, and also, do you have, what's the name? Is it Ben Walsh? The guy who also plays Q in the new Bonds movie. He's in this. Is that his name? Hmm. Yes. Okay, ben cool. Walsh. Ben Walsh. Because um, I was wondering, I was like, is that his name? Because I'm going to be referencing him throughout. Um, so, here's a little spoiler-free review in this little segment for you guys. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, I recommend it. It sounds like when I, when you first hear the plot, you're like, you think this is going to be some B-rated movie, some weird sci-fi channel film. And it's weird. It could be a sci-fi channel, but it is done and executed so well. Like, I don't think anyone could have made this film and have it not be as professional and not be as real as how, how this director made it. I thought it was a great film. Very interesting. Um, and it even was nominated for Best Screenplay. Um, I think in 2016, during the 2016 Oscars. Um, but I, I absolutely loved the film. I thought it was fantastic. Now, Savannah, what made this film your favorite? I liked 
the weirdness of the movie. If you watch the movie, like it has a really good meaning. The meaning to me is that I guess he was trying to say in this society, we are often pressured or even looked down upon if we are single, especially Mm -hmm. later in life, especially the point where we're supposed to be married or, and it says a lot of commentary on sexuality and, and divorce people. And I really like the message about, you know, I, I like the message about society and how it's how it treats single people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just I, I really think the film is genius in a lot of ways. It adds a lot of subtle commentary. The dialogue is really funny. Um, the acting is subtle, but says a lot in the film. The dialogue, yep, like you said, the dialogue is hilarious. And when we start diving into the story, I have written down a few of my favorite lines because even while watching the movie, this was a type where I kept sending voice notes to Savannah just laughing at the dialogue. Because, you know, with these people who are single, they're more awkward. They're more, you know, they speak more matter-of-factly. And it's very, like, almost like the dialogue of, like, Grand Budapest Hotel. Like, that type of matter-of-fact, serious demeanor. But what they say is so outlandish. It's very funny. Um, But, yeah, do you want to dive into the the spoiler bits now? Sure. Um, So, I think we should talk about the opening scene and how, like, jarring that was. Because at that point, you don't know what's going on. Uh-huh. And it's it's kind of it's I don't know if it's a spoiler or not, but the opening scene is a woman. She's just driving, and then you see, you see some donkeys, I believe. She gets out of her car, and she shoots the donkey and leaves. Yeah, that she is- shoots and kills the donkey. Yeah, and just leaves. I mean, I think after watching the movie, you can only assume that I think to her it was a mercy killing. That or because how she did it was very aggressive. I wondered if it was maybe someone who, let's say, broke up with her. And then she now had to face this position where she was going to be turned into an animal. And out of rage, she decides to kill the person who has already turned themselves into an animal pretty much. That's a good. That's what I thought. It was very aggressive the way it was because it didn't like there was no crying. There was no display of emotion. It was very stern. It was just get out of the car in the rain, shoot, kill and leave. Yeah, I think that's a good. I think we can presume that that that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so basically our main character, Colin Farrell, he gets sent to this hotel because his wife of 11 years leaves him for another man. And may I just point out and say, how messed up is that? Because even if you find somebody else you don't want to be with, or like you want to be with somebody else, I would at least be like, hey, I don't want you to be an animal. So why don't we wait till you find somebody and then we could go on with our happily way. I thought his wife is a very messed up person for that. Yeah. I, I think it's also like, I think in that world, they don't know it's messed up to do something like that. Um, and before we get into more of the story. So one thing I, I messaged you and I was like, you know, Colin Farrell's chunked in this film. Dude. I was like, he chunky. He gained forty pounds yeah. for this role. I don't, I don't know how, but yeah, he's almost unrecognizable. And I'm not saying chunk in a bad way. You know me; I enjoy a good chunky man. <laughs> so when I was, I was like, 
damn, what, what, what's up? And I looked up and he gained 40 pounds. And it was almost to a point where, because I like, I, it's so crazy because, you know, Colin Farrell, at least to older generations, not necessarily our generations. I mean, he's a very good looking man. Yes. But he, everyone's always like, oh, he's so hot. He's so this. And I, I found that because I was looking, I was like, is he okay? But then I realized he just gained weight for the role, which yeah. I think worked. I, I mean, think it, it did enhance the character because if he was regular Colin uh, Farrell, it wouldn't have. No, it, if he was the gentleman or the Dumbo Colin, Farrell, like it's not going to happen. Like, um, so I think it was a good call that he was more plain looking. Yeah, definitely, definitely a good call on that part. And I know somebody else was supposed to play him, and then I I think they turned it down. I don't remember who. Oh, um. I want to say it was Jason Clark. Jason Clark. He was in Zero Dark Thirty, and that's the only. Pe- oh, oh yes, yes, yes. He was in-, in Pet Cemetery. That's where he's from. Yes, and he was also in Great Gatsby. I really liked him in Great Gatsby. So he was supposed to play him, but um, and I could see that I could, uh, but definitely Colin Farrell sold the role. Absolutely. Yeah, he was he was really good, and so this universe of the film was constructed beautifully like it makes sense whether you're together or alone with like whether you're with someone or alone it shows the pros and cons of each side and i think like you said it's it's very i i believe it's very reflective on our fears of being single and pretty much it's like in this world being single is just as good as being dead yeah like and being turned into an animal is not a cruelty punishment it's your second chance because if you can't find someone based off like your looks or personality, at least you can find someone off on animal instinct. And that is like the most backhanded, like that is the most backhanded thing I've ever heard. It's like, oh, if you don't, if you don't cut it out, if you're not good, if you, if people don't find you attractive enough, if you don't find someone attractive enough, or if you don't have a good personality, don't worry. We'll just, you'll get laid the way animals do because they don't care about your personality they don't care about your face and it's just like that is the most backhanded thing to say especially to a society so i truly felt like they represented loneliness as like a death sentence in this film which i I liked a lot um there's also very little things in the film so like when his the character's name is david when david goes to the hotel and, you know, he's this woman's answering questions, like asking him questions. And he goes, he's talking about a sexuality. He goes, hey, is there a bisexual option by chance? And she goes, oh, no, we got rid of that because of technical issue. You have to pick between homosexuality and heterosexuality. I do yeah. feel like the director was trying to make a statement about how a good amount of people also view bisexuality as something that's not technically real. So there's a lot of little things like that they put yeah and i think they, they viewed you know they were trying to point out that kind of bisexuality is and which of course i don't agree with at mm-hmm. all um that bisexuality causes problems it's it's just a person who can't decide and i think that's why they've they've labeled that in in terms of the story as a ruling um and but i like because that doesn't get pointed out a lot whether it's in film tv yeah. whatever it may be you do see a lot of like bisexual culture just kind of be pushed aside and it's like you'll pick 
you'll choose you'll 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 figure out something eventually it's just kind of like an excuse for oh you're on the cusp of either or you just haven't made your decision so i i do liked how it was expressed and i also do like the fact that this he made the main character open to both and i think in and, and i think that's like you know a good way to look at things mm-hmm. to not rule your options away so i i like that little character attribute for him and i think it just showed how um open he was to really find like just in that little bit how open he was to finding someone to love yes for sure. Um, now, I wanted to talk about, before we get into characters, I want to talk about the hotel. And the hotel itself is very psychologically traumatizing. And I wanted to point that out because just down to the little things and then from the big things to the hunt, this hotel, you know, it, the woman who runs the hotel is Olivia Coleman, her character, and she's the manager. And basically, the fantastic. Hotel, she's fantastic she's in so itself. She's so funny. She's so funny in the movie. Um, the goal of the hotel is to make sure you understand why couples are better and why you are better off either as an animal or as a pair. And one of the things I, there's a few things that are just shocking that they do, but one of the things I like that shot me personally was the skits. They did these yeah. little skits where, like, it was very awkward, but, like, why being alone is no good. So they did this one skit where, like, a woman is walking alone and she gets raped. Obviously, it's not a real rape. They're just acting it out on stage. Yeah. Um, but then she walks with the man and nothing happens and vice versa. When the man is eating alone, he's choking. So there's a lot of psychological aspects to this hotel. Um, the hunt is very also jarring yeah. as well do you want to explain the hunt stuff so before we get into the hunt there's two other things i want to mention that this hotel does this hotel oh, gonna say. has <laughs> them because i i was laughing so hard That's at awful. the response colin farrell had and like his That's character awful. the character david had in this scene and it's when like so apparently you have the maids come in and no one is allowed to masturbate. That is a rule. No one is allowed to masturbate in this hotel. It's kind of like a sin in this hotel. But to get some type of sexual stimulation and what I'm assuming is to like, especially for men, rev up their engines so that way they'll have more courage and more things to like pair off with people. <laughs> it's low-key torture. Like, it's very torturous. So one of the things like the maid is like, are you ready? And he's like, do we have to do this? And so she makes him take off his pants his underwear like his boxers are exposed and then she lifts up her dress and she rubs her butt on his crotch in like a like a semicircle for like a minute <laughs> and then he's obviously getting some enjoyment of it and then she gets up and he's like can't you do it for a little bit longer and she's like have a good day sir and he's just like this is awful <laughs> just awful <laughs> it was the most funniest response i thought anyone could have had it but it really was it was awful yeah and there's also this other scene where john c Riley's character they find out he's masturbating in the room and which i don't know the- how they i mean maybe i assume somebody walked in on him but it was just really funny what? that she was just like evidence oh yuck um oh, so that, that's his fault then for not that's his fault but um <laughs> There might have been some evidence, and that's why they found – they said that they found, like, a magazine. And one of the things I love what Olivia Coleman says when – because, you know, he was pleasuring himself to a, an image of a woman on a horse. And 
Olivia Coleman goes, you know what? You shouldn't be looking at the girl because that's not your future. You should be looking at the horse and idolizing that horse. Like pretty much say like, and I thought that was like, whoa, like that was so like, so just, just what an insult to say to someone like, oh, the pretty girl, you're not going to get her, but you could be the horse. You could be the the little, you know, horse that she rides. Like you could do that. So I thought that was a little great scene, but Um, the hunt. I actually do want to, before we move on to the hunt, one thing I really liked, I, I, even though I think it's really funny, but one thing I think that's very subtle about that whole thing is you never see that sort of shift to the women. You kind of just see how no. it affects the men. And I also think mm-hmm. that's what that that's a comment to make, saying that women don't deal with those sort of sexual drive issues, which is not true. But I yeah. do feel like the the film does subtly comment at like, oh, like we don't have to worry about women. We just have to focus on the man. And, his and I think also too, like anatomically speaking here, if the women do what they need to do, it's not as evidential as what a man needs to do. Oh, so I think totally. also... Oh, a woman and I wonder too I wonder if the same because if you notice only like because there's a scene where it's like oh your 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 right hand I think it's I think it's actually like the hand that they pleasure themselves with is tied behind their back and so they have to do things like just for like a day without that hand just to get acquainted but you don't see any women doing that that's what so, I mean so I feel like that's also making some kind of statement there which I liked yeah. So I, I, I wondered. I, I really wondered if um in this director's head what the um what the, the rules were for women. Because we only really saw the glimpse of the rules for men. Mm-hmm. Um which I was also very surprised because the one of the things that I was a little bit surprised with the dress code was because, you know, they made all the men wear suits and they made all the women wear dresses, like especially towards dinners and events and stuff like that. Yeah. Which I understood. I think it was a way to re- like remove personality from the clothing because I think also people, if, the, if someone had an inclination that someone was rich, they might just go to that person just for the sake of them being rich. If, you know, someone came in with like the Rolex and things like that. Right. Um, but one of the things I was surprised with was the the bathing suits that uh, the, they made the girls like the girls were allowed to wear bikinis, which I was a little because, I mean, everyone dress. It seems so conservative at first. So I was surprised that like whenever you saw women in the pool and stuff like that, they were able to wear little little tiny little bikinis. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's also a statement in itself. I, I, I would assume, like, I understand what you're saying about, like, oh, like, you know, rich. And, and I, I agree. I feel like that's probably why they made them all equal. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, I do think, like, with some of the more revealing clothing, like the bathing suits, I do think there were some little things that were like, okay, like, here, you guys can wear bathing suits and whoever, you know, maybe has the best body will we'll get in. or Because uh, there's a weird yeah. scene where, where he's talking to a woman that has nice hair. And mm-hmm. she's just like, well, you can't buy nice hair. Like, you have to be born with it and all that stuff. So I do feel like with the bikini, it it did. There were points of the movie where they did try to give some advantage to some women than others. Yeah, and I think also it's I and I like just thinking about it now. I think it's also to appeal, like pretty much the way that they they combine people and that they meet people is based off two things: one single simul- similarity, and 
an animalistic attraction. Yeah. Like yeah. it, it kind of just seems like, especially with that one similarity, like it's just crazy to think like if it's not a place that linked you, if it's not a, a hobby or a condition that links you to like, then you, you guys just aren't fit to be. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really scary. Um, but I think, yeah, we should probably get to the hunt, which is the, the most psychotic part of the movie. Do you want me to explain it or do you want to explain that? Go for it. Go for it. Okay. So the hunt is essentially, it's a way that these people can fight to further live and not be turned into an animal. And what they are given, they are given tranquilizer guns and they are sent into the forest. And there are, you know, people who have escaped the hotel, who live in the forest, who um, sneak food from the hotel to them. Like there's a, a big group that has left. And I believe not only can you hunt those, but you can also hunt the people who you are at the hotel with. And so, because I, I did, it did seem like, did you get that impression? Because I, I wasn't sure at first if it was only the people in the woods. I don't think there were like solid rules, to be honest. Yeah, I didn't but essentially like you were given like-, like a trank shotgun and you neutralize people you put them to sleep and whoever you captured is then turned into an animal i think like the worst kind of animal which they never really say what the worst kind of animal is but for every body that you shoot you get days extended you have more time to find the person you love so there's even this one female character who's just psychotic and all she does is do the hunt so when she goes and does the hunt like they tell like okay you have you've been added you know an extra day that means you have 35 days left they go to this psychotic chick and they go oh you got four kills so you are at now 180 days left and you can just like and just from that like it's it's a way just to get people to stay there longer it's it's a game it's just a game that people can play to not only does it help the hotel and capture people who have left the hotel and broken the rules, but for people who don't want to turn into an animal, it's their only way of fighting that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very, when I first saw that, I was like, Ooh, this is not even just like trauma. This is like sinister. Um, before I move on, cause I think we should talk about characters in specific. Mm-hmm. I just want to say, I love the music in the film. Oh my god, the music was stunning. It was probably by far one of the best. Like, cause I love a, a film that has m- like music everywhere. I feel like only certain films can get away with not having a lot of music. Yeah. But this one, the 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 score enhanced it so much, especially because there's a lot of slow motion scenes in here, mm-hmm. and it's very um um. It's very cla- it's like classical music, very symphonic, very um, a lot of violins, a lot of strings and stuff like that, piano, all that stuff. And it's works so well with the movie. It is so fitting too. Absolutely, even like the little stupid, um, like they'll have like little dance numbers. Like Olivia Coleman has a has a weird dance scene, like a singing scene in the movie. And that's great. Mm-hmm. Like, I just feel like they did a really good job with um, every piece of music in the movie. Now, um, which character do you want to talk about first? I really love the dynamic. Oh, so 
there's uh, what what's I think is so great is that every character is so different in this film. Yeah, there's the psychotic girl that Colin ends up getting with for a little bit of time, and she's truly psychotic. Leah Sado plays this interesting, almost cult leader like, where if you're not in the hotel, you're in this other city, and like literally the only difference that I can. Like, as an outsider, obviously, if someone was in, like, a real-life scenario, there would be tons of differences. But the only real diff- significant difference that I could see between the hotel and the, the this cult that lives in the woods, I'm using cult for lack of a better term, um, is masturbation. That's, like, the only thing different. Because you can't – you're supposed to mate within the hotel, but you cannot – find someone and you cannot kiss you cannot touch anyone in this cult so i thought her dynamic and her like leadership roles as well as olivia coleman were fantastic um i really like ben walsh's character and he has a fantastic speech where he talks about how he got his limp and i think it shows you like this and i think there's also this message behind animals and that how animals do have souls. Yeah, yeah. And so there's this Ben Walsh gives a speech on how he got this limp where he went to go visit his mother who had been turned into a wolf and he went into the pen and all but two wolves attacked him. And so he knew that one of the two wolves like the two wolves that did not attack him was one of one of them was his mother. So I thought that was a really good commentary pivotal for sure. Pivotal, I, I thought it was a really good, yeah, commentary. I thought it was fantastic, and it kind of gave you a glimpse into, I think, our connection with animals yeah. and how, especially, I think dogs is the most relatable. Dogs and cats, having household pets, that connection we make. And I, I think it's a really good message about, like, how animals do have souls. Animals, you know, I, I, I just think it's really good. And also, too, like, when they say, oh, you're going to turn into an animal, pick something that's going like extinct, I think also is really interesting, too, because everyone, I think most people would think dog and would turn into a dog. Mm-hmm. But I, there's a lot of like hidden messages in this film that I really, really appreciate. What about what characters did you find? Like, what were your favorite? For sure. Um, so I, I really did like the wolf store because even though like the fact that he said there are two wolves that didn't attack me um we can uh, i think we could safely assume that two of them were human i don't know which one is the mom but like the way i perceive that is just like okay like they were both human at one point because yeah. two um ben was shaw that's his name he um i really liked his character because of what he resorts to at the end of the movie um he meets this girl known as the nosebleed girl Mm -hmm. and i think you kind of see that like he's attracted to her but i also think it's an act of desperation just on my part because what he starts doing is he starts literally like banging his head against tables and just making himself bleed in a lot of ways to be coupled up with somebody yeah so i think he sort of represents the whole like okay like i need to find somebody or like i'll be an animal and i like that storyline for sure um, we haven't gotten to her character, but, uh, short-sighted woman, uh, Rachel Wise's character. I really, oh, like, I love her. She was I very love good her. in the movie. Um, the butter biscuit woman, 
in the movie. There's this woman. <laughs> the butter biscuit woman. I think that's her What name. a crazy character. Yeah, they call her the butter biscuit woman. The only three people who have names are David, John, and I think um, – but it's it's Wishaw, right? It's not Walsh. I knew it wasn't Walsh. No, yeah, and I, I realized it wasn't Walsh because I, I had a fact on here and I was just like, oops. <laughs> yeah, they're the only Walsh. three that have names. All of the three males are the ones that have names. Yeah. All, the women and everyone else don't have names. Um, But what was I saying? Oh, Butter Biscuit Woman. I like what she represented because she was the most desperate out of everybody. Um, And she was just kind of like telling everybody she's like oh yeah like i'll do anything just come to my room like if i don't do this and that like i'm gonna kill myself like she tells colin farrell at one point in the movie like if i don't meet somebody i'm going to kill myself and she tells him how she does it and she does end up killing herself by throwing herself out the window and i well it looked like a failed attempt because she hits she didn't jump high enough and she's just on the floor screaming so i think she might have just turned her into an animal and because that at one point isn't there like a isn't there a crane or another animal? I could be wrong. I could just be, I think I saw a crane yesterday and that's why I'm thinking crane. <laughs> so um, um, I thought maybe she was turned into an animal because I mean, after that, they probably, after a suicide attempt, I would assume they would just be like, nope, you don't get a second chance. And they turn her into an animal. I could see that. Um, but okay. Yeah. So she tries to commit suicide and, and basically I, I like, even though her character was like, cringy to watch i liked that representation because some people can't handle being alone and loneliness kills people and yeah and and they can't even handle to like not go without touch even like they would resort to do somewhat degrading things yeah and uh i think her character did a really good job at being that representation for the people that like almost can't comprehend being alone can I dive into the psychotic woman now? Oh my god. I so, I'm happy with her fate, but go ahead. So the psychotic woman, so there's this woman, she's the one who has hunted and has just continued to do the hunt and she's she gets like 150 days stay there because she's such a good hunter. She I think is a representation of those who are heartless, those who don't know how to love. Yeah. And I think it represents more of like not a like I don't want to love, but a mental issue that prevents love like a like a sociopathic type mm-hmm. um and I, I thought it was a really good insight although her character does have a twist i thought it was a really good insight as to how people like her find some type of love something that they consider love to them people who are a mentally emotionally withdrawn from that concept so the way that colin farrell gets paired up with her is that she pretends to drown and Colin Farrell does nothing about it, knowing he's being tested. So as soon as she fakes drowning and comes up from the water, she chokes on the thing and then starts to drown. And then as soon as she's done, she's like, I think we're a match because he didn't attempt to save her. So he pulls a, a Ben Walsh. Wishaw, yeah, he, whatever, yeah. Ben Wishaw. I'm saying Ben Walsh just just sounds right. Wishaw. Ben Walsh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Ben Wishaw. He pulls but, out Wishaw um, and basically pretends to be as heartless as her and she starts getting inclinations because while they're having sex he tries to lean in and kiss her and obviously she's not about that she wants to just stare at him while the lights are on which is a very <laughs> a little, it's a little it's a little different it's not the normal conventional it's definitely type a, of love definitely a power move 
Yeah, for sure. But she gets this idea because they are then moved into the double suite. And after you do like a little trial, so it's kind of like a dating phase. And then after the dating phase, you go through like a honeymoon phase where you're on a yacht. But on this uh, dating phase, she gets this idea that because also like when they crawl into bed, he kind of like leans towards her. She gives him a look and then he leans towards back. And so she thinks she has this notion in her head that he's lying. And the way that she finds out that she like he's lying is while he's sleeping, she goes in the bathroom and I had to tell my boyfriend because he's someone who does not like dog death scenes, especially my poor boyfriend could never watch this movie because this dog looks exactly like his. And I've warned him already for the love of God, please do not watch this. If you have a border collie, please, (laughs) this film is going to be tough because this psychotic woman just goes in the bathroom and just starts kicking and kicking this dog. Meanwhile, this dog is actually his brother is actually called David's brother. And he knows it's real when she's like, yeah, I kicked him. He let out a little yelp, like, like, and she is so psychotic. And this is all just her testing him and seeing how he reacts. So he looks down at her leg and her leg is covered in blood. And he goes, okay, I'm going to go wash my face. And then you see the border collie there dead. Like it has bruises, indentations, everything on him. So he says he's going to wash his face. He starts crying. And then the psychotic woman's like, I know you're lying because he started crying. If if he was as psychotic as her, he wouldn't have cried. So there's a scene where he, like, the maid, the same maid that he was, like, just awful, just <laughs> awful with, ends up helping him. And they end up tranquilizing her and throwing her into the transformation room and just turning her into an animal, which I think... Yeah, it was a fate she deserved because, I mean, she. I, I don't think she would have found anyone. If, if she did find someone, they would just be serial killer couple. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, I, I, I loved her character. I love the addition of it. Um, and I, I thought it was a really great, great point that happened. And it kind of starts up how um, Colin Farrell leaves and, you know, runs into the woods and ends up becoming one of the loners in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, but And I also like the fact that they had entwined this maid character in because other than that, I don't think it would have been possible to do so. Yeah. Um, I like the representation of them as a couple because I think if you fake your way into a relationship if you fake feelings if you fake anything i think the point of that is someone always gets hurt and i think it's even a great representation because usually in terms of sociopaths and psychopaths not in all cases but they will mimic what their partner who is to our eyes, normal, they will register like, and they will kind of fall on their level just so that way they don't have to be alone or to gain something. Mm. So it was really interesting to see a normal man taking advantage of a psychotic woman. Yeah. You normally don't see it, usually vice versa. Yes, I agree. I think that's, I, I like that whole storyline, even though it was hard to watch and, you know, I was happy when she was dead and turned into an animal. Um, I, I really enjoyed that. Um, so David then runs away into the woods and meets the loners, which is, um, you know, led by Leah Sudeau, right? Sudeau? Mm-hmm. And Leah then Sudeau. he meets, uh, right. This is, uh, what's, what's her name in the movie? Nearsighted, farsighted, nearsighted woman? woman. Yes. He meets the nearsighted woman who or short-sighted shorts. Yeah. Something <laughs> she can't see very well. That's the point of her character. Mm-hmm. Um, 
which is also ironic, which you'll see at the end. But um, he meets her and there's this sort of instant connection in the woods. And so basically there's not a lot of difference, as Stephanie said, between the loners and the hotel because they don't, they're both heavily flawed and they're both very egotistical leaders that have like, you know, it's, it's very similar. At the end of the day, you think you're escaping into something else. Meanwhile, you've just joined a different version. You've joined the hotel, but now the outside edition, you've joined the woods edition and they're both It's just parallel. Yeah. Yeah. It's so like, cause it's like, Oh, okay. You need to find someone. You need to do this. And then you have the other side of the spectrum where it's like, no, you need to be alone and you need to die alone. Like, (laughs) like even to a point where they have, you have to dig your own grave and you crawl into it. And the only thing they will do is throw some dirt on top of your face. So the wolves won't get you. Literally. It's crazy. Um, but yeah. Do you want to talk about what happened sort of in this this part of the film. So, obviously, Rachel Weisz and um, uh, Colin Farrell, their character, short-sighted women, and David, they cannot have their relationship. So, But, of course, they have this instant spark and connection. And, of course, um, one thing that links them to have this connection is they both realize that there's short-sightedness. And so they kind of realize, like, they would work in the real world. They could go out to the city, and they would work as a couple. And not only that, but they do like each other. Mm-hmm. I thought their relationship was so beautiful. I loved their chemistry, even to a point where because they couldn't tell each other that they loved them or, you know, couldn't express what they wanted to do to each other romantically, sexually, whatever it may be. They came up with like this weird body language code where if like, let's say if he lifted up his right elbow, it meant like, I want to have sex with you. If he lifted <laughs> up his arm, it was, I love you more than anything in the world. And it was really beautiful. And I really liked how they did that without, you know, because if they did express those things, it would have been, it would have gone against uh, this, the loners group. And even to the point, not only would it go against, but you would be punished by, I think they would make you guys kiss and they would stick a knife between the kiss and you would have your lips cut up. So, and it's very painful. I think they called it the red kiss. Um, But there, as um, Leah Sado has to put on this facade with her family And so not only does she take her fake husband into the city to see the family, but she takes Colin Farrell and, um, and Rachel Wise as backup and through them living and dressing up as regular people in the city and having to pretend to be as a couple, they realize that they work. And of course things don't happen. Like it's, there's no fairy tale ending. Leah Sado ends up finding out. Uh, yeah, because they make out at the parents' house. <laughs> like, yeah, they start like sucking each other's faces at the parents. I mean, it's, they didn't hide it well. Yeah, no. And so it was definitely very apparent towards Leah Sado that it, this wasn't just an act that they had feelings towards each other. And I really wondered if this was because Leah Sado herself she started this whole thing because she couldn't find someone. Yeah, definitely. I definitely got that vibe that like. It, it felt more personal. It didn't yeah. feel like, oh, like it, it didn't feel like, guys, I don't want you to give birth in the woods. <laughs> it was more like a, I don't want you to kiss because I don't want to see that because yeah. I haven't, I, I can't experience that. Um, so there's a part of the movie where I did want to speak about before we tell them their fate. So basically, they do hijack um, a yacht and the hotel at some point, like part of the hotel where the manager lives, and then the yacht where Ben. 
Ben's character and the nosebleed girl are on their honeymoon. And I really like that scene because Leah Sado, you know, she has a gun to the manager's head and she goes, how much do you love her? And he goes, yeah, 14 out of 15, which I would have, I would have been mad if my husband said 14 out of 15, but whatever. And he said, and she goes, okay, well, who could live better in the outside world? And he goes, I can, I can live without her in the outside world. And he hands, she hands him the gun and she says, okay, then you, you do it, you do it. And he goes to do it, but there's nothing in the gun. And it just shows Olivia Coleman's character that her husband just would have killed her. And I think that's a great point to make where if you are not with the person you love, then through, you know, the, the, the common phrase through death do us part or like, I will never hurt you, blah, blah, blah. All these conventional things where it's like, this dude was literally about to kill his wife. And it, I think it was awesome that she, they didn't have bullets in it because I think it was just this big wake up call to Olivia Coleman that at the end of the day, they could have said that they loved each other, but with what he did, that don't mean Jack, yeah you know? For sure. Um, because you mentioned Ben was shot. One of the, so Another thing I thought was interesting, and I thought it was a great parallel, and this is not Rachel Weisz and David. This is Ben Wishaw and the Nosebleed Girl. Um, which, by the way, the Nosebleed Girl was in the show The End of the Effing World, and that is fantastic. Just a quick shout-out to that because I love that show. But um, Ben Wishaw and the Nosebleed Girl, because they were fighting, the solution to fighting is having a child, which I think is a huge reflection today and is one of the, a huge issue in our in American culture that yeah. I've at least seen. And I, I, I think culture all over the world where people think, oh, we're having issues, add a kid into the mix. And they think, oh, that's supposed to bring everything together. But no. no, like, no, I think that is such a horrible idea of execution. It's like, go to therapy? Nah, just pop out a kid. And the kid so is like, argue with each other. it's really funny because the kid they give him is like 10 years old. Like, it's a full-grown yeah. child. I thought that was really funny. Instead of a baby, they gave them literally a 10- or 11-year-old little girl. But, and also, one of the best scenes is when uh, Colin Farrell is with the psychotic woman. And Ben Wishaw is like, oh, this is our daughter. Daughter, go give David a kiss on the cheek. And <laughs> Colin Farrell just goes, I don't want a kiss from your silly little girl. <laughs> and kicks her in the knee. And he goes like, there, now you have something in common. She has a limp like you do. And I thought that scene was it was supposed to be psychotic but i thought it was just the funniest thing it was really funny it was really funny but um back to the ending and the fate that happens to um colin farrell and rachel wise is that rachel wise was scheduled to have lasik and because she's of her short-sightedness that leah sado was able to get her lasik and leah sado ends up having the doctor blind her because she knows her relationship. And now keep in mind, not only is she blind, like she has to go through the hunt. She has to now essentially be hunted now while she's blind. She has to survive blindly in the forest. And it, I thought it was like, I was not expecting that. And I thought that was this great pivotal point because not only did it cause drama in Rachel Weisz's um, world, but it also showed now like, hey, Colin Farrell and Rachel Weisz no longer have something, you know, they no longer share similarities. Yeah. Are they still compatible? It's really sad, too. Um, well, she ends up killing Leah Sado. They end up killing no. her, right? Or did they put her in the grave? 
it, that was David. Right. So and when she's blind, she stabs one of her friends because she thinks she kills Leah Sado. And Leah Sado kind of mimics and falls to the floor acting like she died. Meanwhile, she That's didn't. Right. It was just to play games like, huh, guess what? You thought you killed me? Guess what? You, you don't have sight anymore, so you don't know. And it was um, David's character that when they escape, they kill her in her sleep. And they throw her into, I think, David's grave. And they just kind of put some, I think they barely covered her. And so you end up seeing like wolves coming up and licking her face and stuff like that. Um, but the way it ends is that they try to escape into the city and try to, I think they their plans is getting married, getting an apartment and having that simple life. But because they no longer share that physical ap- attribute that bonded them, the final scene is Colin Farrell debating on whether or not he's going to blind himself Oof! What so that way they can be a convincing couple i mean yeah and basically you don't know the the last literally maybe three minutes of the movie is just watching her sitting there at the, the, the booth the diner booth wondering yeah. if he did it yeah and you don't really know which i thought was awesome I love the ending of the movie. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of the ending of four months, three weeks, and two days, where it's kind of like it kind of asks you, like, what would you have done in that situation? What do you think happens? I think he loves her too much. I really think that he would have done it. I think he he will only blind one of his eye, so that way they have that one share, but I don't think he's brave enough to lose both eyes. That's interesting. Because I don't know. I've thought about it a lot. And like, I genuinely don't know if. That's just based because this character like seemed reinvented when he meets Rachel Wise. And I don't see him wanting to lose that because they have not only, you know, despite them not having the same attributes, they had the same dreams of, you know, uh, going to Italy, going to Portofino and stuff like that, even if they don't have kids. And I think it was just this like. At the end of the day, do you think that they loved each other? Or do you think they loved the idea of not being alone? No, I think especially Rachel, you can see it through Rachel Wise because she's a loner. And she, I think, was cool being a loner and, you know, doing the silent disco dancing thing by herself. And <laughs> that was so, so good. Um, we have clubs like that, you know, where you listen to your own music and you just veg out in a club. <laughs> that was so weird. I think she was okay with being alone until she met David. David, on the other hand, I don't know. I think, you know, you see him flourish as a character. But, you know, that whole I'm short-sighted too, that kind of sparks the relationship. And now that that's gone, sometimes I wonder if, like, something was taken away along with that. But at the same time, I don't see him just as a character leaving her behind. Yeah, I think he's too good for that. I think his character was, you know, at the end of the day, all this character really wanted was to be loved, even though he had a hard time expressing it. There's a certain physical want. I think what when he, especially when he goes after the the psychotic woman, it's not a sense of want. It's a sense of need, of needing to be with someone. I think he, he comes across as a very codependent person where in order to fully be himself, and when we start seeing how he really is, it's when he's with another person. And some people are just like that. I think, like you said, Rachel Wise is someone who can easily be on her own. Whereas mm-hmm. I don't think 
David could have been on his own. He just comes across as a very codependent type of person. Yeah, I agree. I think I think you see that a lot through the film. Um, but I do love the movie, like the ending of the movie, because I think it lets you sort of decide. And I don't think there's necessarily a wrong answer. Um, I, I just no. happen to believe that he wouldn't. I don't know what he would do, because part of me also goes, you know, he could just tell her he's blind. He could pretend he's blind. That too. That too. He could have easily done that. But I think at that point, like, remember, he had already just gone through lying with someone. Yeah. I think, so, yeah, and, right. and also remember, it wasn't at the end of the point. If It wasn't at the end of the day. It mattered whether or not she thought he was blind. What mattered is if they were both blind, people wouldn't suspect them as to be like, what's what's your common thing? I mean, they easily could have said, like, we went to the same university. Like, you know, they could have with my best Irish accent I could have ever done. <laughs> like, they could have said, like, you know. That they went to the same school, that they they are the same major, whatever it could have been. But at the end of the day, that would have been tested. But if you say, like, we blind, you know, it's like, you can't test that. No, yeah, and I think you see it through the, uh, also, like, the nosebleed couple. Yeah. She didn't limp, you know, and the only thing that really mattered was their physical similarity. So... I think your assumption was right that maybe he does blind himself, but only one eye because theoretically speaking and i'm not trying to be like ignorant but like i don't know how two blind a blind couple would work by themselves i think it's also the fact a newly blind couple yeah that's true a newly blind couple who then have to because normally with blindness it usually happens after an accident it doesn't like to have two people it's like no we've been recently blinded and also colin farrell would have come out of the bathroom with an eye bleeding oh yeah i mean like, he still probably could have had vision. It just his eye would have been jacked up. A simple solution, guys. Wait, make him wear an eye patch. Be like, I'm blind. Yeah. And then, like, if someone I'm takes done. it off, just, just pretend you're blind. Yeah, just roll your eyes. Just roll. learn how to roll one eye in the back of the head. Or he could have gotten the one contact that kind of makes your eye look like, you know, like white. Could have done that. Given himself a lazy eye, say it's a fake eye. I don't know. Well, I just really happened? wish in the end that they both made it because I really like them. I loved their chemistry. Yeah, and I think at the end of the day, like, would have would that make it real? You know, like I think the whole faking being blind, even though maybe that's something I would do because, um, but I think he does end up at least blinding himself in one eye because some part of it has to be real, even if it's just between them. There has to be some element of like, because like you said, like he ended up lying for the psychotic person and somebody got hurt because of that. So I do yeah. feel like at the end of the day, like even if he doesn't completely blind himself, there is, there has to be something real that they could show people. Um, so now what would you do <laughs> if you were in that world with your husband? Would you blind yourself? I don't think... How, which way would you go about blinding here's yourself? Because I have a way. I don't think I could physically do it myself. Like, I don't think I can go into the bathroom and stab my own eye. Like, just like, I don't I don't think I have that willpower. Um, I'm going to be completely honest. I'd have to fake it because I cannot mentally even handle thinking about blinding myself. There have been a lot of situations in my life where I've had to get like... Like, recently last year, I had to get a procedure done before I got married. I cried just thinking about it. And I cried when <laughs> I stepped into the, you know what I'm talking about, stepped yeah. into the doctor's office. So mentally speaking, I don't think I could even like 
physically comprehend, mentally comprehend blinding myself. So as sad as it sounds, I don't, I think I would have to figure out a way to like fake it to everybody. If, okay, so here's the thing. I'm blind legally. My vision is horrible. I can still see things with glasses, but my eyesight is horrible. So then I think Zach, you know, my boyfriend Zach would have to fake it. He would totally fake it. But the way I would do it, I would be like, no, don't stab your eye like an idiot. Let me take a BB gun and just boom, right in the eye. But the mental preparation just for that. Like, it, I mean, I, you have to realize my cousin actually actually was shot in the eye with a BB gun and went temporarily blind for like three weeks. Oh, my God. But luckily it did. It hit. Yeah, my cousin, she like because she wore a, it was she was a kid. She wore like a blindfold. And then after like the, the gun didn't shoot and like the BB gun. And so when she lifted up her eye and was like, did it work? And then it went pew, and hit her in the eye. So, yeah. So I, I've I've. I was there when it like I was there after the incident happened. So I, I mean, if someone was like, "Oh, I have to blind you with a BB gun," I'd be like, "Okay." See, I can't. I'm not that. I can't comprehend that at all. And they think also you have to be mentally prepared not only to be blinded but to be blind. You do, you have to be mentally prepared. So that's why I feel like he doesn't completely go all the way through with it. That's fair. That's fair. I think for me, like, cause you wear glasses, but no, I don't know anyone whose vision is as bad as mine. Yeah. Like my bad is my vision is just awful. So like when I take off, like it's to the point, like if I'm sitting in a doctor's office and they say like, Oh, look at the chart with the big E on it. I take off my glasses on um, my vision blurs it so much that I just see a white piece of paper <laughs> my vision blurs it so much that I lose color so I'm um, like I've experienced that so for me if I had to like be blind blind I'd be like yeah just do it in one eye whatever beep gun boom just do what you got to do have you considered but getting surgery for that I have but I'm terrified of what well, like what, what happened like with Rachel Weiss <laughs> because there's always like a, there's a possibility you can go blind yeah and there's always been like there's articles over the past few years that have been saying that LASIK should not be on the market because a lot of people have had um, either like, and the issue is with LASIK, it's not permanent for everyone. Yeah. Like for someone like me who has very bad vision, it would only be temporary. My vision will still get worse. So it's like, I like how I look in glasses. I'm coolio with that. Thank you. And if one day I muster up the courage to ever put contacts in, which I can't because I'm so spastic with my eyes, then I'll do it. But as of right now, I can still see with glasses. If I can no longer see with glasses and that's my only option, then yeah. I, but, I'm also very skittish with things going in, in the eyeball. That's why I don't get contacts. Like Paulo, my husband, he always like makes fun of me because he's just like, just get contacts. Just get contacts. It's so easy. And I just, nope. there's something about something going into your eyeball and your eyeball, like I'm not just trying to gross people out, but it's a very soft, squishy thing. And I can't imagine yeah. a laser going through it. I just... I bought like a trial pair of contacts and I could not because my vision without my glasses was so bad. Even with glasses, I could not tell if the contact was the right, like folded the right way. You know, like if it was folded the right, like, is there like, it's supposed to be a convex or convex shape. And I'm like, I can't see shapes, dude, <laughs> without my glasses. So when I put it in my eye, I put it in the wrong way. And so when I took it out, it scraped my oh, eye my and it damaged my eye. Luckily I recovered from it, but that I was like, oh, no, no, no. We're never using contacts. No, but glasses are like your staple. 
Yeah, and I've like, and everyone, like, all of my family's like, don't have glasses. You look so much prettier without your glasses. And I'm like, my glasses at this point have become me. My glasses are a signature. So it's whatever. It's like, oh, you want to see me without my face? Here you go. My glasses are off. You're going to have your glasses in a museum one day. I hope so. I really, because I've used like the same glasses for years now. I only buy the one type of glasses because I think they are the perfect ones for my face. Mm -hmm. Because I like the big, like, you know, like Federico Fellini type of glasses, like the eight and a half type of glasses, but they block out my eyebrows and I look like I don't have eyebrows. (laughs) So my glasses, I think work, but that was very off topic, but some still somewhat on topic. Um, What do you give the film? What rating? Oh, um... 8.4. 8.4. Nice, nice. I give it 8.5. Nice, nice, nice. Which we will actually, 8.5 is a film we will be reviewing in a few weeks. That's right. Um, Can't wait. Yeah, yeah. Def- actually, not this week, but next week. The following, yeah. yeah. I think last week of May is we're going to be talking about 8.5. But overall, I think it's a fantastic film. The directing was astounding. The uh, Everything about it. But it's a very, very well-made film. The only thing I think would be the reason why it doesn't get a full 10 is because I do think the pacing is a little off. And I also do think, um, although I do like the one scene with John C. Riley, I think he was an, an additional character that we necessarily didn't meet, need, you know? Yeah, I agree. I, I, I was kind of thinking the same thing that even though like he was definitely entertaining and I, I did enjoy his presence in the film, it, it really could have just been Ben was shot and, you know, Colin Farrell's relationship there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, I feel like, an unnecessary scene. Uh, not not ne- unnecessary per se, but I didn't really care for the whole best friend and nosebleed girl. But that's just me. Yeah, I could see. I think the nosebleed girl was, because I, like I nosebleed. think showing the whole lying aspect of it was good. I just didn't care um, for the friendship. I like the nosebleed girl herself, but I didn't care for like, this is my best friend. And then my best friend gets turned into a pony and then she slaps me. Like, I just didn't. I was just kind of like, all right. Yeah, I, I don't think that was entirely necessary. But I mean, it wasn't bad. No. It, it didn't. I don't think it completely hindered the film. It was just like, oh, I think it could have been done without because it is because it's a little bit of a slower paced film. It does feel longer than two hours. Definitely. Definitely. Um, but it's still a great film regardless. And I hope we can review more Yorgos films. Oh, uh, we have to. We have to. Definitely. Um, but anyway, yeah, you heard it from us. Eight, uh, not eight and a half. Um, <laughs> a lobster is on Netflix right now, so definitely go see it, even though we all spoiled it for you right now. Um, but next week, we're going to be reviewing Five Against the House. Yeah, and also, um, it's Five Against the House, and are we doing the the Marlon Brando back-to-back special next is week? That is next that week? next week? Yes, it is. Yeah, Marlon Brando in the house. Um, I love Marlon Brando. If you guys didn't know, yeah. But um, and then, yeah, and also shout out to our Patreon, yeah, James. What's up, James? Thanks for supporting us. And was there another movie? Well, what well, else are we? Oh, Antiviral. Actually, next I, we actually skipped a week. Uh, Marlon Brando is not this week, but next week. So this week is. I'm looking at the list right now. That's why. Um, Five mm-hmm. Against the House, The Passenger, and the film Ooh. Her. Ooh, a little good medley right there. Yeah. A little something different. Each. I'm everybody. excited. 
The Passenger was my pick. So I, I, I'm excited. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. So that was something I've always wanted to see. So I'm excited. Me too. Very fun. Very fun. Well, all right. You heard our verdict on the lobster. Thank you so much, guys, for listening. And we'll tune to you can tune in <laughs> next week when we t- talk about Five Against the House. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.